On a scale of one to 10, how creative are you when you take to the boardroom or the stage or just simply communicate with others? Creativity clearly is a secret weapon to success. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because with me today is the most creative sales mind and presenter I've ever met. Meeting this man changed my life. And I not only get to say thank you, I get to share with you some great stories and lessons that might just change your life as well. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Scott West, works with the select high-performing investment professionals, equipping them to acquire and retain their optimal clients by personalizing unique and executable strategies. Scott has almost 40 years of experience developing and then delivering, as he says, edutaining content, whether on a main stage or in a one-on-one engagement. He co-founded the Invesco Global Consulting Group during his 35-year career at Invesco, launching dozens of programs in six countries with ideas designed to transform the advisor's practice. He's also the co-author of five books, including the bestseller Story Selling for Financial Advisors, one of my favorites. Nice to see you again, Scott, and welcome to the show. Now, Rob, it's so good to see you as well. It really is. I Thank you for the nice words. You uh, were a mentor to me as well, going back to our Xerox days of more than almost three decades ago. Well, that's where I want to start, actually, because it is. It's, it's a little over 30 years ago. You came into Xerox, and just by chance, fate. I was the trainer and in comes Scott West. And you know, there are turning points in our lives and some good, some not so good, but meeting you was a very positive turning point in my life. And you came into XDU, that was Xerox Document University. And you met a skinny little guy who was trying to do the best he could. But Scott, you were the one who helped me get started. You believed in me and I'm internally grateful. Now, how's that for the start of a podcast? That's awesome. I appreciate you saying that, Rob. Well, but it, and you know, I'm, I'm, I think we're on podcast number 255. Play back the other 254. You won't hear an intro like that, yeah, but well. it's well deserved. And, and, and so let me tell you some why I say that, folks. You know, at that time when I met Scott, there was a term that we, and we still kick it around called value added. Uh, although value added at that time, 30 years ago, was, you know, Nick's tickets on the floor. I mean, it was, it was, it was a ball game. But you had a different vision. And I really believe you were kind of a pioneer in this. How did you come up with the idea of, of not just building value through you know, a ball game, but literally building presentations and eventually a, a complete department? I, I uh, Basically, the bottom line is this. I mean, it was out of necessity. I, I was... Uh, I was a Canadian, I'm a Canadian, and I was given a sales territory that included six of the deep South states. So I was a 25 year old going in to visit at that time, very successful municipal bond salesman in some of the biggest banks in the South. I just didn't offer a whole lot of value. So what I became is a broker of ideas. I, I just would gather a good idea from one advisor and maintaining confidentiality. I would use that as a story for the next advisor because nothing's is as important for advisors in my industry, like hearing from the best. And so I just packaged ideas. And and then over the years began to realize this is probably something that should be formalized, that an asset manager should offer a lot more than just products. 
Uh, and you can have every product and be successful if they're performing well. But this was something that buys you as an organization traction for long periods of time. It can get you through difficult markets. And so just built a practice helping advisors and really leveraging the content that we developed over these last 25 years to help advisors get, keep, and grow. Those are the three things, get, keep, and grow. Yeah, well, you walk the walk, uh, I can tell you that. And we're going to get into a couple of these presentations that Scott has created, some of my favorites at least, that I, I, you'll understand why I say the most creative individual I've ever met. I, I, I'm still putting me right up there with you. I'm having trouble letting you that should. one go. I got to tell That's you, but, right. uh, but, but I'll go 1A and 1B. I'm not telling you who's 1A, but truly incredibly creative. Uh, and I think you've, you always sort of undersold yourself as a presenter. So uh, help me out here. What do you think when, when you're actually on that stage, what do you think some of the strengths you know that you have that you bring to that stage? I, I guess time has, has helped to really understand the challenge that advisors have. So I like nothing more than to get up in front of a group and, and there's an obvious skepticism, particularly among seasoned advisors. They've heard and seen everything. And for me, that's a challenge is just to really get them to think outside the box and challenging convention on what should take place in terms of dissemination of content, for example. What should that look like? How do you help advisors uh, without getting to the ridiculous, um, you know, grasp these concepts and communicate them. Yeah. You know, you bring up something that's interesting because um, I'm kind of the same way when I have an audience that's skeptical, when somebody whispers in my ear, gee, I don't, I, I don't want to mess you up, but you know, there's a lot, a lot riding on this. What people don't realize is for the Scots and the Robs in this world, that's like putting blood in the water to a shark. That gives us something to fight for. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I, I kind of, I'm always, you know, people say, hey, do you get nervous? No. But I, I get anxious occasionally, not nervous. But if you ever want to see me anxious, it's when I have nothing to fight for. I got it. Oh, this audience loves you. They, they're they they're already on board. Well, then I'm already bored with me. You right, know? right, right. Let's, let's have ourselves a battle a little bit because when we turn that group around, mm -hmm. we're going to feel it in our bones. We feel it in our gut. And um, that's what we live for. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, one of the first things you're looking for, you know, is kind of bouncing off is give me a skeptic. Let's see what that looks like. I don't need a layup. Give me a jump shot. Yeah, and it's really understanding the difference between a skeptic and a pessimist, right? I mean, a skeptic, the, the actual definition of skepticism is temporary, uh, healthy delay of judgment versus a cynic. Like, I think one of the biggest problems people have is they think there's only two categories of people. There's pessimists and there's optimists, and they're really easy to identify, right? An optimist is gives you the energy to get through the day. We love those conversations. The pessimists, those are deflating, and we want to avoid those. And then there's this middle group that we've sort of just misidentified, and that's probably 40 to 45, maybe more percent of your client base who are truly skeptics. And we treat them like cynics or pessimists, and we just create bigger walls to get over Rather than embracing the skeptic and avoiding those words, it actually comes down to words. We've spent, I've spent a long time of my career studying language and words and principles. And ultimately, it comes, it comes down to that in the conversation. What are the words you use? So I think taking risks is really important um, and thinking outside the box. And, and that's something I've, I've tried to do over, over my career. So I'm going to suggest 
four words that cultivates the interest of a skeptic. First of all, you got to begin with the understanding that skeptics are just doing what they do. It's not a bias necessarily negatively. So here's words that encourage the conversation with skeptic. Four words, weigh, W-E-I-G-H, sort, balance, and consider. Those are four words that enhance the conversation with skeptic. They, they encourage the skeptic. There are words to avoid. So here's some words to take out of your language when working with skeptics. But, however, unfortunately, uh, you moron. Those are the four that we really- You moron? Really was that the fourth one? <laughs> Did you forget the fourth one? The fourth is that really the fourth one? That was the fourth one. You, you moron. But but it, but it really is, if you think about that word, but, what if, if we could just take that out of a vocabulary, I'm trying to make that a mission for me because we don't mean it the way it's, it's said, but you make a really good point, Rob, but- and what I've just done there is dismissed everything that went before it. Yeah. I didn't mean to do that. That's a death knell for skeptics. So I, I think one of the things that we should begin to look at is look at categorizing our clients in, in, in those three buckets and try to eliminate as many as you can from the pessimist energy, you know, draining relationships. But really be honest about the skeptic and don't be threatened by them. Encourage right. it. Right. Yeah. That was the point I was driving to. If I want to sell a, a seminar, I I literally ask them, put in the skeptics, put in the skeptics. See, if you put in people that that have all my, have all our books and can't wait to see us, I don't know what you're evaluating, but put in the skeptics. And if and if they say that's the real deal, we've got a client. Uh, so I'm with you on that. Uh, let's 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 keep driving. Let's go to the, some of that creativity. So one of my present one of the presentations I want you to talk about a little bit is. Um, language wave. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but when you talk about it, talk about what was on the table, talk about the creativity that you put into that presentation. And, um, and the floor is yours, but people need to hear this. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the first programs we built, uh, again, this is for use by an asset manager uh, to uh, create differentiation among advisors. But we, we talked about the entire retirement challenge. And we started doing this back in 1992. Um, obviously, it's become even more pronounced. And, and there's so much being written about how to have a successful retirement. But back then, I we developed a program that was based on a lot of theory about what it's like to turn 65. But there was nothing really practical in terms of the tools to use. So we we actually partnered with a hospital down here in Florida that puts their nurses and employees through uh, older adult sensitivity training. And, and so we packaged that and began using it with advisors to give them a sense of the physical, just the physical impairments of sight, hearing, dexterity. And then it, and then it led to really making sure that we show every part of our practice a sensitivity towards the client. So it got very, very practical when, when dealing with the over 65 marketplace, your office had to be attuned to communicate a story that you wanted your practice to tell and also gather the story from clients. So all that came to a head and I did a presentation for a large group uh, in Orlando and I actually had a professional makeup artist from Universal Studios turn me into my father. And I did this 20 years ago, so it was a little easier. I, I, I came out uh, completely done up with three hours of makeup as my father. 
as yeah. the speaker. And the guy that invited me to the presentation, of course, he's sweating bullets because he doesn't see Scott. He sees Scott's dad. And why are you there? And I said, well, I need to introduce Scott uh, because it is a topic that means a lot to me. And so I literally got up in front of those 250 people and started a, 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 a presentation from the perspective of an 80-year-old man and how you deal with miscommunication, confusion in the financial world. And then about three minutes into it, I tore the mask off by saying that I may look older, but I feel just like that 45-year-old. And uh, so we had a lot of fun with that. We, we were always trying to push the edge of the envelope. We would do meetings for advisors on products like every asset manager does, but we would involve an, a troop of actors uh, struggling actors from LA that we got to know, and they would put on little sketches that would enhance the meeting. That had never been done before. There was no thought to why would you have an improv group of four or five people participate in a very serious, somber financial uh, conversation. But we found that that really appealed to people. It, it underscored, as you mentioned earlier, this whole philosophy. It's got to be educational, but it's got to be entertaining. You, and people are open to that. They are open to that within yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, and, and to get a visualization of what Scott's describing, at least the way I, I wasn't there for the mask, but I heard it was like a Mrs. Doubtfire mask, like a, like a real rubber mask. So people can kind of visualize that. Y'all have that right? Two and a half hours of makeup from a Universal Studio makeup artist. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, you know, the, the, there's an old saying in training, what we hear, we forget what we see. We remember what we do. We learn. So I'm going to put a button in what you said. Go back just a little bit and tell you. When Scott says sensitivity training, because uh, I saw this part, there were boxes on everybody's in table and yeah. you opened those boxes up and you put on sort of cardboard filtered glasses that made you myopic, that made you farsighted and, and then said, OK, now you read the business card. How, how, does, how does it feel for you? And I watched people transform and truly begin to understand and I remember at least the one I saw was for the banks where we tend to have potentially a slightly older clientele going into the banks. So we can stand up there and say, we got to be more sensitive. Or we could, when I say creativity, now you know what I'm talking about. We got a man walking in with a Mrs. Doubtfire mask on, male, of course. Uh, and, and then with boxes on the table, so people experience what their clients were experiencing and from the side of the stage, I never forgot that presentation. And I thought it was just a classic example of there's creativity and then there's what I'm seeing. And I never saw anything like that before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, you were talking about the improv. I was in a meeting with that you ran in Orlando where you had two gentlemen that I believe they were working for Disney. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Who mm -hmm. basically... In a sense, they transitioned the meeting. They facilitated. They came in a little bit late with a spotlight. They were, it was hysterical. One was dressed like he was going out on the beach and the other was in a business suit. And they, they bickered and argued. And in bickering and arguing, they were introducing speakers, telling us when lunch was. I did, was that the only time you did it? Or did you dip into that well a few times? We went a few times with that. And there was, the response was really positive on that. Um, listen, you're talking about people that get invited to meetings every month. I mean, mm -hmm. so they're used to going to a home office in Boston or New York or wherever and being bored. I mean, that's normally what happens at those. It's a, it's a download of information, all facts. And like I've said before, if, if you stick to the facts, the facts don't stick. 
if all you do is, is communicate statistics or facts or a product that happens to be hot, uh, you run the risk. You run the risk that uh, of retention and uh, penetration with that relationship. So I really, I really believe it has to be a balance in some way. Yeah, and I'm glad you got to that piece because I, I had read that where you were, were talking about if if you stick to the facts, the facts don't stick. Uh, and I, I'm I'm glad you sort of put some words behind it because I was looking at that kind of scratching my head and thinking, huh, classic Scott West. <laughs> I'm gonna have to unpack that. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'll tell you something else that makes sense uh, that you and I are lined up on it. And, and you know, I, as much as I'm fawning over Scott West, uh, Scott and I don't see each other very often. So we're sort of rekindling this friendship. And uh, I, I, so you may not know this about me, but you write about the fact that advisors reject the title of salesperson. I've written a book that really goes into the fact that uh if they're not the only ones that that people really struggle with that term and yet um I, they we may be the most important people on the face of this earth i'd be happy to defend that but you're my guest tell me in your in your mind why people need to be reminded that not only um are salespeople you know critical to uh, conversations and often conversations about persuasion but I think critical to the way we function as a society. Now, I might get a little deep there, but I'm, I'm turning it over to you. Yeah, I, I don't know that, Rob, you've always been an advocate for the salesperson for your whole career, and yeah. you've never shied away from that word, salesperson. Uh, but I think there has been, at least again, and I'm speaking for just one industry, there has been an aversion to that word over time, that there's somehow maybe some experiences people have had that they associate negatively that term. That's the best I can come up with because we are in conversations of persuasion every day, every single day. And is that a synonym for sales? Yeah, I guess it is. But I think, you know, salesmanship is not dead by any stretch. And you can make it more complicated and you can add degrees and certifications and job titles, but at the end of the day, you're persuading people on a course of action that you believe is right based on the due diligence you've done. And there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. Absolutely. Uh, a matter of fact, when, what we're talking about is helping people over their fear of change, helping people to fix problems when they're small be, before they become large. Because once they become large, we don't have to worry about calling them. We'll get the call. The problem is what damage has been done and and um, and so I really feel it's a responsibility that we have. Scott, have you seen the commercial? Uh, I'm gonna I'll beat him up a little bit. First of all, I am a Capital One customer. Now get ready because I'm gonna beat him up just a little bit. Capital One has been running. They don't. They only ran it once. They don't run it anymore. I really jumped on this about a year ago. What's in your wallet? Terrific campaign. I have no problem with it. But one of the first ones had a man, the the, the individual who does all the commercials, say, "We're here to help you." not sell you. And that one just stuck in my gut um, because now we have a financial institution saying, basically putting in conflict the term, if I'm selling you, I guess I'm not helping you anymore. Right. Does that ring, does the commercial ring a bell? It doesn't have to, but what do you think of, of, of a bank making that statement? Well, again, they're, they're denigrating the role of the salesperson. So they're, they're making a big stand when they say that. Right. And, and at the end of the day, it, it's it's just a word. 
but the the meaning of it has not changed since in 30 years. We're still taking people like, you know, it was the whole reason for writing the book Story Selling. We're, we're taking people on a journey. Um, and only one portion of it is the dissemination of facts. The rest of it is great discovery, asking the right questions. Uh, look, look, you know, language wave, the program we were talking about, the over 65, the, the low hanging fruit is what you do to make uh, the, the conversation easier with an older client. For example, you know, I, I have an estate attorney down the road here and I go into her office and she's got business cards that are 40% bigger. And there's always a little jar of readers in the conference room. Those are little tiny, but yet really sensitive ways. There's no carpet on top of carpet. There's no, there's ceramic rugs with uh, mugs with handles, but not styrofoam. That's the low hanging fruit, what not to do. Here's the positive side of that. You have an opportunity to take advantage of the changes that take place as we age in the way that you quote unquote sell or persuade. And so the easy stuff is what not to do. The stuff to do is to be incredibly curious because to the extent that older clients, their ability to process information, maybe that's declined a little bit, but their long-term memory, that what's hardwired in their knowledge never changes. And so I like to say, think of the next 75-year-old walking in to see you and they're behind them is a vast warehouse of memories. That's what they're sure of, the memories. You need, your challenge is to connect whatever you're trying to persuade them to, to something that they understand. It's making the unknown known by using the familiar is another way to say it. Right. That's and, almost and, a and, mantra in that book. Right. As, and, as it, I and it becomes more critical the older we get. We started writing about this in 1990. We're now in 2023. And we and it's it's personal. Didn't it just come now. out, Scott? Didn't it just come out? I, I was looking online on Amazon. There's a 2020 version of, yes. uh, yeah. of yeah. the we, book. We updated it. It was released in 1999 and it had a good run. And we re-released it, uh, calling it Story Selling Revisited with uh, three new chapters. So, right. But the concepts are still still there. Yeah. You know, um, my dad, uh, before he passed, had Alzheimer's, uh, but it was fairly well managed. But to your point, um, he obviously struggled with short-term memory um, and we assisted him and helped him with that. But long-term memory never faded, never faded. Uh, he, he would be, matter of fact, it was, it seemed to be almost more acute and intense um, as he got older. Um, so uh, certainly validates your point. And, you know, as you talk about the low hanging fruit and, and the different banks, I don't know if I ever told this one when I was working with you, if you ever saw me tell this one on stage, but, I, you know, I would always play with an audience and I'd say, okay, banks, let's see if, let's see how creative you are. You know, my folks are in Florida. They have, they've moved a couple of times, but they still go to the same branch and, um, and they are loyal to it. And, you know, why do you think they go to that branch? And they put up their hand, they go, they, they know their names. Like not exactly out of the box, but thanks for playing <laughs> coffee. You know, they're serving coffee again. Yes, but no, it's close by. Now, actually, it's further. And the answer is <laughs> dog biscuits. Uh, you know, mm. they don't have any children down there in Florida. My parent, we were up here, but they had two little dogs with with that were referred to as my brother and sister. And oh. the fact that they had queued into that and would slide that deposit slip back out with two dog biscuits. My folks were driving by 15, 20 different banks to get to that bank. So it speaks to creativity, th thinking oh. out of the box. Yeah. It's 
amazing to me. And there's there's ways to you know get creative. One of them is to have a real fanatical curiosity about your clients. I, and I think that gets to one of the core issues is I don't think we have that insatiable appetite. Um, you know, ask yourself, when was the last time you met somebody and for 15 minutes they asked question after question about you? I mean, and they weren't stalking you. I mean, that's a that's a difficult thing to say you've had happen. It just doesn't happen very often. People generally enter conversations with questions that are masquerading, but they're just statements. And they're not really disciplined in the way they gather the information and the, the life story of a particular client. That's what's really critical about it is the whole issue of curiosity. The more curious you are, the more attractive you are to people. Yeah. And, 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 and you build up equity quickly by asking great questions. Yeah. And the amazing thing, Scott, is when you're asking those questions, it doesn't necessarily feel, particularly if we remind ourselves what an open question is, so it's not an interrogation. But uh, it doesn't feel like it feels like a 50-50 conversation. And and I can to your point, um, my wife's father was an ambassador and um, I met him a few times. But the first time I met him, she said, you know, you're going to like him. Everybody likes my dad. I'm like, well, I'll be the judge of that. Right. And uh, I walked out, you know, 20 minutes later, whatever it was, and thought, wow, what a great guy. And I said to my wife, he really is. What a, what a nice guy. He said, you do realize he doesn't talk. He's not, he, what did you learn from him? Like nothing. He was lobbying these very well thought out, open-ended questions. Scott, he was listening to the answers. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, facially, not verbally, he was locked in. And I, 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 I only know what he was doing for the second time. I was waiting, waiting for him. And it was brilliant. Uh, these yeah. were he was just in the moment. He, he, I didn't even feel like he was thinking of the next question. He was just processing what was saying and selling me on the fact that he was enjoying the conversation and I could certainly tell why he had been an ambassador. Uh, he Absolutely. was amazing. Yeah. We, um, true curiosity is an act of humility. It, it's, it's granting status to the other party. And that's what makes it so attractive. And, and yet we don't typically focus on that as an art. The art of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think it's it's really critical. I smell a I smell a book title. Actually, I've always wanted to 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 write something about the, you know, the art of curiosity because uh there are some process behaviors. And sometimes, you know me, I'm a you know, former Xerox guy. I've always been looking for a process, but sometimes it's not so much a process, but some key moves that we can make. And each one in its own value. Imp improves our position. So one alone, we go, well, if I do that, I'm, I'm all of a sudden great. No, but what if I give you 15 more? And what if we start bundling these together? That's how we hear even salespeople that they'll tell you they're lucky. Uh, not, not as lucky as you think. They're doing a lot of little things really well. And um, so it's not necessarily this, this systematic process, but just a lot of very smart actions and behaviors. Uh, we, we, we'll, we'll need to talk about that one a little bit. Yeah, you and yeah, me. I, yeah. I, I smell something. All right. I, I, I'm going to hit you with a question that from, from left field, but, but I hope you can appreciate the way I'm going to ask you. You I'm, I'm singing your praises as a presenter. And, and yet correct me if I'm wrong. I've never, I've never asked you this before. I think in your heart, you're an introvert. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, so here we got a guy that is this presenter that said, 
for the introverts who are listening, how do you manage that? Because when you're doing your job, when you put on that Michael Jackson white glove, you, you're you're a, a big time extrovert. But how do you manage that? I think just being aware of it. I mean, I remember when I was a college kid and one of my jobs was to take some of the speakers that would speak at the college back to the airport, made a quick $25. And I'll remember one guy, I'll never forget. He was so energetic and just, I just thought he was a tremendous communicator on all the key fronts. Driving him to the airport, I bet we had a conversation of maybe a dozen words. He was an introvert. And he just was gathering energy from himself, not from others. And so for me, it's been just uh, being aware of it and realizing that there's a limit to how much I can be extroverted. <laughs> and then it's going to, and then not being worried about the alone time and, 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 you know, getting energy from yourself, not necessarily dependent on from other people. So yeah, I, yeah I'm an introvert. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm going to tell you something that I've just been realizing this last year. Uh, I actually think I've got a, a little bit more introvert than most people think. Same thing. Um, you you see me do my job, and then people are like, oh, he's, you know, he's what an extrovert. But do I really want to? I will go out with the client the night before and things like that, and so do you. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sometimes that is the most difficult part of the two days. Yeah, it are, is. You know here comes Scott West. He's really entertaining and educated. Wait till you see this dinner with this guy. Yeah. And we have to put on the white glove and, and now eat dinner. Yeah, well, I don't do that. What I use the dinners is for just sheer curiosity. I just use them. For, I find I can get through those dinners much easier if I'm asking the questions. Yeah. And then what happens is, listen, this is true. There was a psychiatrist in Chicago we work with, and he says it's almost like an emotional reaction that takes place, a biological reaction. I ask you a question, you say something I find interesting, you ask a question, and it's the opposite of a viral spiral. It actually creates, the connection creates almost a trust, which is just bizarre to think about, that if you have a great conversation with someone, you could actually say that you actually trust them more based on that five or six minutes. Yeah. So there is a there is no such thing as small talk. It's all big talk in my mind. And, and, and particularly as we come out of this virtual world, um, one of the things got lost in, in the virtual world and all the Zoom calls and everything that take place is, is that lack of small talk, that lack of connection. Um, we actually tried to do that uh, at the firm I worked at. We, we, we build content for a 45 minute meeting, but we make the meeting 55 minutes or 60 because we built in small talk. It was that critical. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to disclose something. I, um, I don't typically build in Q and A's. I think they actually pull a little energy out of the back end of the talk. Uh, truth be told, but I'll do them. Uh, and I, you know, if I could just give a process behavior for all, all those who are listening, going, how do you not do a Q and A? Just promise me this: if you're listening, when you do your Q and A, don't just walk off after the Q and A. Give them your best story that you've got on the in the books and close with it, then walk away because it, it it's a necessary piece, but it, it takes a little energy, but I did something happened to me. It hasn't happened to me in 25 years at least. And that was, um, I was just sort of scooting along and all of a sudden I look at the clock and I went, I must've misread it. Uh, I was going fast. I never go fast. I speak fast, but, and uh, I mean, when I say fast, I mean, I was 30 minutes fast and um, I, uh, turned it into a facilitation conversation, not as like a quote unquote Q and a, I got to tell you something, Scott, 
I enjoyed the heck out of it. I don't know what yeah. took me so long. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I've always kept them away because I thought they pulled energy down. But if you can facilitate it properly and you get off that, get into that audience and um, and you really work with what you've got there, it's going to take some mental agility. Yeah, I would never, ever, ever end a presentation with questions. I've worked so hard to control the environment. Right. I am not going to turn it over to somebody that is late for lunch or had an argument with their wife this morning. I am not going to do that. I'm not going to. It just it's, it leaves too much to chance. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to manage expectations up front about when I want to take questions or where afterwards they can they can reach me. And then, like you said, I control the way that that finishes. That's uh, yeah, I've learned that the hard way. So glad you said that, by the way, because I really was thinking, I, ho I hope my buddy here isn't upset at me because it's sort of weird when you're listening to two professional speakers say, we don't, we're not big on the Q&A. We are, prefer them anywhere along, but we're, we're bringing this ship in for a landing. We're creating this momentum. The, the, the close is one of the biggest parts of our presentation. And when we go, and now some questions, and frequently there might not be any, and you, but the one thing you don't want is an audience feeling sorry for the speaker. So, by the way, I've already got questions in my hip pocket and I'll ask them of me, get a little giggle, but get things moving. Point being, uh, it's sort of a it's it's a weird thing to hear a speaker say not huge on Q&A, uh, but but I'm but I'm meet, I'm meet you in the middle. Like I said, say, how about have some questions in your hip pocket? Uh, so that you don't make the the audience feel uncomfortable. We're allowed to feel uncomfortable. They can't feel uncomfortable. And then, it actually, there's a blurticle that came out today. Uh, think like a juggler. You start with, as a juggler, and I was a juggler, you start with your second best trick. That gets the audience, and that means my second best story, my second best quote, analogy, whatever it is. But I'm closing with my best trick, my best story, my best analogy, despite that Q&A. But we have to be careful because sometimes the, the people who are handling it will almost push us off stage at the end of the Q&A. You have to kind of grab the mic and hold yeah. it. And go, Thank you. I, I would like to finish with one last story, if I may. And it's, right, right, right. right. <laughs> but but it's, a, it's like your arm wrestling. Now, yeah. they don't mean to. They're, they're fine. But I'm telling you, you have to make that happen or you're going to get shuffled off with okay thank you and that's not a good that's not sticking no. your landing in gymnastics <laughs> <laughs> that's so true but again, uh, again you can yeah. you can manage and massage the way you, if it's a small group yeah i've used i don't stop if i do breach that rule and ask for questions i never questions oh fair game have at it i would say more questions along the line of so what based on this what do you think you can do with this tomorrow yeah how does this how does this fit with your you know, whatever, the way you practice. So it's yeah. directing them to a positive. And, and if yeah. they still want to say, I learned nothing, you suck, that's that's fine too. But that that requires a little more effort than, hey, any questions out there? Yeah, that's, that's really smart, Scott. I'm glad you threw that in there because uh, that's why it worked the other day. I didn't ask them for questions. I asked them questions right. and that got it going because I was walking around going, why was that so good? Um, that's what happened. Now, once we got that rolling and it became safe, then a few came back my way. And then we, I, you know, we had to, we were fine. We were dancing, but the fear was, do you have any questions of me, um, for any speaker? All right, let me, I gotta, I gotta bring us in for a landing here too. Uh, so if last question for you, if you could, um, yeah, let's do this. If you could whisper into somebody, a, a presenter's ear, 
before they went on and maybe they're a little bit anxious and this kind of new to them and you just wanted to give them one or two pieces of advice real simple what would it be wow well i'll give you one that's kind of uh, just a, a one little checklist thing that i do i never if it's possible get up in front of a group for the first time i've always got up in front of that podium at the break the night before so just this is very small and a very tactile answer to your question there's a bigger answer but i think i think being putting yourself in the you know in a place you can win and i'm always one that likes to be in front of the room before the room gets filled so that, so i think that's 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 really important but if i was to say one thing it would be you, you know i would say to someone like you 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 made a big effort to get here You've now got the opportunity. You've got this next 45 minutes. Why are you so passionate about this subject? Why do they need to hear this? And you have to have that conviction. For me, it's, it's I like looking at people that are disinterested or looking at their, I, I want that challenge, like we said earlier. I want that. I want to yeah. see them drop their phone and and begin to engage, you know? But it's, yeah. it's, it's about, there's too many speakers that don't have conviction when they get up. And it may be the first time or the hundredth time but I, I think that the big swing thought for me is just getting excited. Like you guys aren't going to believe what you're going to hear. I've said that to myself a million times as I'm standing at the back doing calisthenics to limber up, you know, you're in luck to hear me. Yeah. That's, that's what you have to answer. Oh, I love that. Um, I really do. Um, I, 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 I do. And, and to your point, I always walk a room. We always walk a room. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm rehearsing how I'm even going to get up on that stage. If it's a, if it's a short stage, I actually practice jumping off it a couple of times because sometimes I, you know, I want to get off there. I don't necessarily want to walk to the edge, take the stairs, depends on how high up it is, but you want to rehearse that a little bit, make sure that that's, that's doable. Can I jump back on or do I need to take the steps? You don't want to make, you want to take that guess in front of the audience. So right. I do a lot of kind of walk. I also look for, Hot spots on that mic. If it's a wireless, where can I get to? Sometimes we get too close to those side speakers. We get some feedback. If you do that, you're removing a lot of unknowns. So you're actually calming yourself down. So uh, I do like that. And I I'm with you. Uh, I sometimes, I'll tell you, I go a little further. I sometimes look at myself or whisper to myself, how lucky are you today? <laughs> you get to look what you get to do. So you true. know, flying here wasn't so easy. The hotel was this, the, all that. But how lucky are you? Because in a minute, they're going to call your name. And guess what you get to do? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, um, boy, you know, uh, I'm at it for over 40 years. It doesn't get old. Not yeah. for me. And I well, I'll tell you what, you scratch the surface on it. There's a lot uh, uh, that I teach advisors on the top 10 things to do beyond just the normal speaking things. But you mentioned something real. I'll close with that. But I... I think it's important to develop this sort of concept that when you're in front of a group, particularly if it's a group less than 100, you can view the group almost as a heat map. Okay, so there's going to be some red, red uh, heat map area where people are with you, they're smiling, they're giving you the feedback. That is red hot. There's also going to be other sides of the room where it's cold. It's, it's pale blue. And so what you need to do through your keynote is take from the group that loves you and work on thawing that other group. But thinking of the group, the room as a heat map is, is sometimes helpful to think about what I need to do. I told you he was creative. <laughs> what an interesting way to look at that. That's fantastic. 
Uh, yeah. Well, Rob, and, I just want to say you said a lot yeah. of nice things to me. You you've been a mentor to me as well, and and to you know just all I I, I still say stuff that you've said to me. I'll tell you, you know, people don't fix small problems; they fix big, big problems. problems. <laughs> you right. So you, you've left a lot for yeah. me to. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Scott, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, so I, I, I no longer and uh, in the in the in the uh, corporate world, I could be reached at Scott West uh, at Scott West Communications, and the uh, I don't, the email is scooter s c o o t e r West at sbcglobal.net. Would love to talk about anything that was uh, of interest from this great discussion today. Perfect. Well, um, there it is. Uh, I, I, I really don't think I've ever been more excited about having a conversation with somebody on my podcast. Um, and um, I, I, I did enough fawning to start, so I, I, won't, I yeah. won't make you uncomfortable. Uh, you mean a great deal to me. Um, you taught me a great deal. And I'm, I'm grateful to have you in my life. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Rob. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, folks. Until then... Stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>